As a driven dentist, you see the world differently. Where some see scarcity, you see abundance. When others want to give up, you keep going. You're building an amazing life of significance. That means you can't rely on ordinary advice from ordinary advisors to get to your goals. You want advice that's going to help maximize your net worth so you can take even better care of the people you love, the causes you care about, and make your dent in the universe. But the fact is, this advice remains hidden because relatively few professionals are well-versed in them, and the extremely affluent don't care to let you know about them. Join us as we pull back the curtain to reveal the often hidden advice and strategies used by today's most successful individuals and families. Welcome to Dental Wealth Nation. Here's your host, Tim McNeely. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of Dental Wealth Nation, and I am so excited to have you here today. And, you know, we toss around a lot of words in the world. We talk about investments. We talk about productivity. We talk about, you know, exiting on your own terms and a whole bunch of things like that. But the question is, what do those words actually mean? And that's why I'm so excited about today, because by the time we finish today, you're going to know how you can build a practice that can be sold at an investment grade level. And you're going to learn how to build wealth all along the way. You're going to have a new mindset when it comes to your practice and, and how you think about it. And we really want to shift your mindset to see your practice as the true investment that it is. But most importantly of all, you're going to feel empowered as business owners to go out there and make the best decision possible for yourself and for your practice and the people you love. And when it comes to helping doctors do that, I don't know of anyone better than Dr. Victoria Peterson. And I could tell you that Victoria has over 30 years of experience as a dental entrepreneur. I could tell you that she has a degree in spiritual studies to really help bring a refreshing approach to business. I could share with you that she's the CEO and co-founder of the Productive Dentist Academy. I could tell you she's a four-time recipient of the Inc. 5,000 fastest growing privately held companies. And the list goes on and on. There's so much about you that I or I could share with her about you. But what I really want to share about Victoria is that she has a passion for helping dentists just like you learn a system and a framework so that you can create even more choice in your life. And with that, Victoria, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. And aloha. Hey, absolutely. So, so glad to, to have you here. And I, I can't think of, of a more important topic than really building wealth and, and building that investment grade practice. And so let's like dive in and let's let's start kind of talking about some of those things. You know, what does investment grade even mean? <laughs> you know, I first started talking about investment grade in 2015. I was doing a doctor breakout on the basics of business. And I said, you know, most of you are waiting on your CPA to give you a PL statement a month or three months after the fact. It's driving, uh, you're driving your practice in the rearview mirror if you're waiting on your CPA to do those kinds of things. You want to be building an investment grade practice where everything that you invest in your team drives your business forward. Everything that you invest in your systems makes it more durable. Everything that you invest in marketing has a tangible ROI. And so that was the seed of the concept was 2015. I began my podcast a couple of years ago and started writing the book. And then the book started writing me because we started putting it into real world application for these systems. But building an investment grade practice really, uh, I think the pandemic 
is a great example of why it's important. Many of us got shaken up when our office managers went home and we didn't know how to turn on the computer and everything started falling apart. And then when people didn't return, we realized that we may have a very predictable practice that has cash flow, but it wasn't durable. It wasn't durable past the current owner. It wasn't durable past the current team. Building an investment grade practice gives you the system for that durability. Hmm, interesting. Now, now when I hear investment grade, and I, but when I'm not doing my podcast, is another activity I, you know, work as a registered investment advisor. This is not yep. investment advice. This is just a little comparison here. But, but I hear the term right, investment grade, and, and I think kind of about bonds, and I think about the investments that are there. Right, we've got investment grade bonds, and we've got junk yep. bonds, right? We've, we've got bonds that are, you know, they might pay a lot of interest rates, but they're not necessarily high quality things where an investment grade is, is something you want to own. And so is that part of the concept also here too? It absolutely is. So I, almost every dental practice is sellable, just like junk, junk bonds are sellable. There's a market for it, but there are different buyer personas and there's different seller personas. So the question is, are you going to be a fireside sale? because you worked yourself into the grave and there's nothing but equipment or charts? Are you a solo practitioner sell as a percentage of collections? Investment grade really gets you into this current market where they're paying a multiple of EBITDA. So things switched. And you may have a nicely, a nice tidy cash flowing practice, but it is not going to garner top dollar because you haven't put certain things in place that are attractive to today's buyers. And, and that's a shame because it's so easy. So it could be the difference between, let's call it a million dollar practice, selling it for 850,000 versus 1.2 million. That's the delta. That's the delta ongoing from I have a predictable, nice, tidy practice that cash flows versus I have a durable investment grade practice. It means hundreds of thousands of dollars. Now, now, I heard some words just used that some of our listeners may recognize and, and some may not. But you, you just mentioned this EBITDA word. What is yeah. that? You, you talked about multiples. Like, like what's going on there? And, and why is this concept so important? Well, I've been in dentistry since the early 80s. And the traditional way of selling is as a percentage of collections. But you and I both know that two practices equal in revenues are not equal in profits. And what buyers are really buying is profit. And EBITDA is the term that really normalizes everything. So what are the earnings, meaning the profits? What is the earning before interest that you might be paying on your loans, taxes that you pay to the government, and those non-cash items like depreciation and amortization on your debt? So those uh, EBITDA is actually... People think it's an accounting term, but it's really an investing term, which you know, Tim. And so that's what shifted in, in dentistry is that we're now selling as an investor model. Okay. And, and so really, right, that EBITDA is kind of the cash flow of the practice, so to speak, right? It's the usable tax cash flow that the new buyer will have, which right. is what the buyer is really buying. They want that cash flow. Yes, and so with that, there's a, a shift that makes that, that happens where instead of selling for, you know, some percentage of collections, you're now selling for a multiple of that cash flow. And like you mentioned, that that difference can be massive, can't it? That difference can range from a 5x to a 15x, depending on how you have your structure, 
whether you're multi-partner, multi-location, solo doctor, it is a huge difference, huge difference. And, and, and so, right, you know, if you're a doctor, you're doing, you know, million, million and a half a year, you know, how do you start even figuring out, like, what kind of practice do you have? Do you have an investment grade practice or you just have a, a good profitable practice? You know, we actually score it in four different areas. And the first one that is most pertinent to this is business value. Um, the second one is like practice management, your systems, how they run. Third quadrant is on marketing. And the fourth quadrant is on culture. So if I think the first thing I would do if I were looking to say, is this investment grade, is I would go into that business value quadrant and I would ask myself these questions. Is my profit at least 15% of my revenues? That's pretty much the floor. Uh, 20% is really good. In our industry, 22% or more is, uh, is, is top dollar, right? And so I would start working on bringing money to the bottom line. I would, uh, I often say that our nanny's hiding in the supply closet. So any of those personal expenses from your house that you're running through your practice, get them out, you know, kick the nanny out of the supply closet and, and right size your P&L, get it clean. Because when you go to transaction, it's, it's, again, it's not like in the old days where you put it up with a broker and within a year you sell your practice your financials need to be clean for a period of 12 to 36 months. So doctors are starting three to five to eight years in advance to really get top dollar. So clean up your P&L, take out the personal expenses. Think of it this way, for every $1,000 that you pull off your books and you bring to the bottom line, you're going to get $6,000 at time of sale. If you can find 10,000 in wasted expense, you get $60,000. It multiplies. I mean, imagine going to Las Vegas and saying, here's $100,000 and the house just says, here's 600,000 back. That's the difference. So number one, clean up your P&L. Be ruthless with yourself about your spending. Uh, a 10% savings on your expense and a 10% growth in your revenues will equal a 40% increase in your take-home pay. So this is how you get wealthy today. You can improve your take-home pay with your family by 40% just by cutting 10% of expenses and growing your top line for 10%. That is absolutely amazing. And so, right. So, so this isn't just the right. The investment grade practice isn't just about what you're going to get when you exit. It's also about how good of a practice, how good of a quality of life you're going to have all along the way too, isn't it? It absolutely is. And here's the sad part. We work with a lot of transition brokers around the country. And what they're telling me is that, you know, every day their phone rings and doctors say, I want, I want my practice valued. And 42% cannot get out of the discovery process because they can't provide basic documents. You know, what is the, what is the corporate structure? You know, do you have organizing documents? Do you have a PL? Do you have a balance sheet? They can't get to the sale because they're not organized. So that's all in that wealth creation bucket is be organized, have your files, make sure that your loved ones know what's happening financially with your business and and, and, and streamline it. It's just organization and streamlining. Yeah. Now, now the doctors who are doing this well, because, because I always like to make a joke with Dennis. I say, dentists, you are absolutely fantastic with numbers. You know, numbers better than just about anyone else. As long as those numbers are one to 32 <laughs> beyond that, it's a little fuzzy. 
And, and so the doctors that you do see that are able to get these documents, are they doing it themselves? Are they delegating it to a team? Is it their CPA doing it? Like, like how are they getting these things done? Because most of the time, you know, most doctors, you show up, you work, you head home and, you know, you're just trying to keep the whole thing afloat. Um, you know, I was working with a wonderful uh, young doctor in Florida just today. And it was an initial call and we're going through her financial statements. And I said, do you often feel like it's really difficult to understand your business? Do you oftentimes feel like you don't have information, even though you're talking to your CPA? And she goes, how did you know that? And I said, because your P&L is organized A to Z. Depreciation is right here in the middle. Your net income is not correct. Your salary is included with the team salary. So I think the way that savvy doctors do this is that they become educated about these basics of the chart of accounts and how things flow. Number two, and I know this is going to sound simple, Tim, but there is a mindset shift, mindset shift that they say, my CPA works for me. I don't wait on my CPA. So I teach our doctors to create a board of directors. And you're going to have advisors. You want to have business advisors, financial advisors, wealth creation advisors. And you can hire people like you and me on a fractional basis. You don't have to pay us 400 grand a year to give you advice. You know, you can just get a little bit of our time. But build a board of directors that educate you and organize it. When you do that, it takes, I don't know, an hour, a month maybe to look at all of your practice data, all of your finance, everything. It takes less than one hour a month. And it'll take you three hours to be ready for taxes. Hmm. You really can get it down to about 15 hours a year to run a typical dental practice. Wow. Right. And, and the investments that just that little bit of work will pay off is huge because if you've got the numbers at your fingertips, you can start making better choices pretty quickly, can't you? Absolutely. And if you're cash flowing, you might be the one making micro loans to others. You know, this is where your money starts making money. This is where yeah. you get choice. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So, you know, we've been talking about, right, investment grade practice. We've been talking about, right, just really paying attention to the, the bottom line, growing the, the income of the practice, making sure all that's situated. But, you know, there's also some doctors out there who, right, they, they do struggle with this piece. And, and what are some of the top mistakes that you really see dentists making when it comes to, to goal setting or building that investment grade practice? Where, where are they getting sideways on this stuff? Um, where you get sideways, I think you need to understand average dental trends so that when you're reading magazine articles or listening to podcasts or however you're consuming information, you have to understand the context of it. Hmm. So most doctors, I think the biggest mistake is that they make comparative goals. And what that would sound like is last year I did a million. So I guess I'll do a million one this year. That sounds pretty good. Or I read somewhere that I should be growing at least 5% because that'll keep up with inflation. Or my team wants a pay raise. So I'll raise my goals so that I can cover the salaries. So we're making future decisions about where our business is going to be based on today or past information. Hmm. Perhaps a better way of doing it is going five years out and saying, you know, what does financial freedom actually go to go to retirement and say, what does financial freedom look like for me? What will it take for my money to last 30 years? 
And now I've got a financial freedom goal. And I think that would scare most doctors in the beginning that I need $6 million to fund my retirement, whether that's at age 55, 65, 42, but how will you make your money last for 30 years? Once you know that goal, uh, and we have doctors, they know my goal is 8 million, 10 million, 12 million, 4 million. Once they know that goal, then we go to work on building the value of their business because it's typically the number one asset. Hmm. So you have to go far enough out that you become strategic rather than comparative in your goal setting. Comparative goals keep you playing small and keep you in the cash flow rat race, but they strategic goals help you think about expansion and, and facility and associates and what would it really look like? What would the business plan look like rather than, ah, oh, crap, I grew and now I guess I need an associate because I'm tired. You know? <laughs> okay. so, so really it starts with being strategic and, and figuring out where you want to get. It, it, it sounds like we should maybe begin with the end in mind. <laughs> Yeah, Stephen Covey said it best, right? <laughs> yeah, okay. And, and so that's really one of the mistakes you see is, right, they're not, you know, doing that long-term thinking. It's too focused year over year instead of saying, hey, this is where I want to get to, and then really driving all your resources towards that vision of what you're attempting in, to build and create. Yeah, and then being focused on that, it will, it will definitely help cut down on the shiny object syndrome at trade shows when you've just got to have everything and you don't have a plan and you don't know where that Yomi robot or that you know, new laser, how it really fits into your business plan. And then it sits there. It's not utilized because you're not clear and you don't know how to convey clarity to the team. And yeah. that's really the second piece of it is that if you're not clear, your team can't be clear. So they can't come and support you. Yeah. Well, right. And I think that is another big mistake. Like you just mentioned, it's that, that shiny object syndrome or right. This is the latest strategy. This is the latest tactic. I should be doing this thing now instead of going back and saying, well, here's my plan. I'm, I'm sticking with it and I'll make adjustments where I have to. But then that way you're not getting pulled alongside every time the newest, latest and greatest thing comes out. Right. Yeah. And even, uh, you know, strategic investors like Warren Buffett, they, ha they have their money in very secure places. They're value investors and they'll take a small portion of it and play around and do some silly things with it. But, you know, they protect the value first. Wow. So, right. If you're a doctor, let's say mid-career and you, you really want to set yourself up for success, right? And you want to build that long-term value, right? You, you start with building that strategic vision of, of where you want to get. What are some other things that, that you can really be doing to set yourself up for success in building long-term value in your practice? Oh, so many places I could go with this. Um one of the things that, again, if you're doing, if you're taking a longer strategic road, make sure that your marketing plan is going to align with that as well. So, you know, a lot of us are Dr. Tim Neely. Is that going, is that brand going to serve you as you go to market? And it can take a long time. It can take a year, two years, three years to get your brand ranking well, you know, on Google My Business and different web platforms. So you really need to start thinking about your brand. And I know that the doctors that we work with get higher value because they've switched from like stock photography, um, shotgun marketing to authentic marketing 
that has a specific patient in mind, a specific persona that they want to work with, and they're, they're genuinely connecting. So again, it, it comes into not only your financial vision, but your emotional vision. What does your practice feel like, look like, sound like? Who would we attract? Because buyers also want to know that there is good new patient flow and that good that goodwill can be transferred to that next buyer. So marketing plays a big role in this as well. Well, and I like what you just said there, right? And not just right trying to get, you know, patients in the door, but but patients that you align with, patients that you want that that share your same values. That that can make practicing a whole lot more fun, can't it? Sure can. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to balance that if you're too if you're too specific with your patient and you're too specialty, then you may cut yourself out of a bigger part of the market. If you're a general dentist, I'm speaking to general dentists here. So you've got to balance this. Yeah. But right. If you're, if you're right, you want to be specific enough, but yet still broad enough that, that enough people come in the door. Right, right, right. Yeah. And, and so, right. So, so you do that marketing and then, then earlier you mentioned culture, how big of a role does culture play in a practice? I don't know if you've heard this little thing called Me Too, but it is sweeping the nation and the great resignation and finding employees and keeping employees. Um, if you haven't picked up on it yet, the entire narrative between uh, owners, employers and employees has shifted. And we're actually doing blind um, employer net promoter scores. Check that out. I think the new frontier, the new competitive advantage for dentists today is building their reputation as an employer. And it's something that none of us have really thought about before. But what does your Indeed profile look like? What does your glass door profile look like? I mean, we think about our Google My Business and LinkedIn and YouTube and some of these, but the newest frontier is who are you as a boss and what do you like to work for? And team will give you the most honest feedback if you allow them the space to do it. And I think as leaders, that's where like it can pinch. It can pinch when, you're, when your team says, I think you micromanage a little too much, or I wish you would give me more autonomy, or I feel like I don't have any room to grow. Mm -hmm. Those are the reasons that you have team turnover. And we actually calculate the cost of team turnover for our doctors. And um, one great young doctor that we work with, love him so much, but he holds everything inside and then he burst, hmm. right? And so he goes along really well and then he has an anger outburst and then people leave and he's wondering, wow, he turned 14 people in 12 months. Wow. When we, when we calculated the cost of that team turnover, the loss, the downtime, the interviewing time, the getting up to speed and training, the lack of confidence with patients and team, it cost them the equivalent of all of the revenue of all the new patients that had come in that year. Wow. Culture is not, it's not like the eighties where we had those silly iceberg teamwork posters on the wall to motivate people. Culture really is at, do you see me as a person first? Do you care that I have a life, that I have a family, that I'm building a career with you? And can, can you put in some recognition, right? And it doesn't take much, uh, but it does need focus. Yeah. 
Yeah, right. And it's so true, right? And I think culture should be a representation of, right, who you are, how do you see your team, because it's culture that, that empowers the entire organization to move forward together. So, well, so important. How you treat your team is how your team will treat the patients. Yeah, exactly. So it's not a patient challenge. It's not a patient challenge. It's a leadership challenge. It's not even a team challenge. It's a leadership challenge. Yeah. And uh, there's a system for developing culture uh, that works really, really well. It's so much easier than you think. Once you dive in and you start having performance reviews, you start having these conversations and you realize your team's not out to get you, that they're actually there to help you. Yeah. Well, right. And that's kind of a, a, a recurring theme that I've heard several times as, as we've been talking is, right, there are systems behind these things, right? You don't have to go out there and invent this. You don't have to go buy the latest management books or latest book on cultures, right? There, there are systems and processes that are that are tried and tested that 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 doctors can implement in their practice. And you just have to follow it. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, I, I you know, I, one of my strongest core beliefs in life is there are no defects in people. There are only defects in systems. Mm. So while I'm very people oriented and my team, I am not consistent on anything on the Clifton strength finder. I'm a learner, which means I'm always seeking new things and connecting it. And so I'm very rarely consistent. The only thing that helps us, our company move forward is that we built systems to contain all this visionary energy. Mm. So, um, that's what's that's what sparked my passion for building it and building it in very simple, easy to use, repeatable ways. So the sim simpler the system, the more likelihood is it's going to become durable. Yeah. I, and these are things that you teach at Productive Dentist Academy, isn't it? These systems, that how, how doctors can implement it in their office. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. So, so, you know, earlier we were talking a little bit about just, you know, some of the doctors that you've worked with and, and some of the things that we see going on today. And, you know, the, the environment, right, post-COVID, very different. Private equity is looking for places to park money. And they really like dental practices. And so, you know, I'm seeing among my clients, I know you certainly are probably seeing it too, the, these mid-career doctors with good, healthy practices. And all of a sudden they're getting pretty significant offers just showing up on their desk. And they're wondering, what do they do with these things? And, and so talk us through how you're helping some of these doctors through these choices. Uh, I love that. I've probably looked at a dozen of these offers over the last three months. I mean, they're coming in daily. And I think the first question uh, when my phone rings is, is this real? Is this a real company? Is this a real offer? Because this sounds crazy. And uh, then if they go to the next step and actually engage uh, with some of the companies that are putting out an offer, they'll find out that, yes, indeed, these are real offers. This is real money. The question, though, that we come down to is looking at the fine print and understanding the negotiation point. So if you receive an unsolicited offer, if you have a letter of intent and it starts detailing what that buyout might be, uh, you have to know a couple of things. Uh, number one, what type of language is it written in? Most of these are written in a combination of sales, marketing, and legal language. And picking through that takes a little bit of an expert eye. So while the offer may be good, uh, you may be leaving a lot on the table when you get down to some of the terms. 
Would you like me to go into a couple of examples of yeah. that? Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. This is so fascinating. And I, and I know our listeners love this. And, and this is something very real that's happening to a lot of people today. So yeah, I would love to, to dive deeper. All right. So if you own your own building, right, that that's a great investment. You get lots of tax write-offs. Real estate's a really great thing to hold on to. The way that some of these are written up, it'll be written in marketing language on this piece of it in particular. So, uh, and the sentiment, marketing is always about communicating sentiment. So the sentiment is peace of mind and security. So the way that it might read is, we would love to be a long-term tenant in this building. We don't wanna move the practice. We wanna be in this building. We will sign a long-term lease and the lease terms will be like something, something based on an index. We will also be the first right of refusal. And here would be our offer on the building at time of that sale. So some point in the future, we're going to want to buy the building or not buy the building. And we're going to predetermine what those formulas are. So you read it and you go, oh, my gosh, such peace of mind. It's hard enough selling the practice. Now I don't have to worry about the building. I've got the buyer. Then you need to go from the marketing copy and the sales technique of the sentiment and really dig into the financial aspect of it and the, and the legal aspect of it. So financially, are they setting lease terms that are favorable to you? And are the buyout and the first right of refusal, is that favorable to you? Will it, will it, will it trend at the um, market rate, right? So had you sold, had you signed one of those agreements, let's call it in 2019, pre-pandemic, and then your, your time came to sell your practice at a predetermined, uh, sell your building at a predetermined rate in 2021, 2022, when the market was going gangbusters, you might miss out on half a million or a million dollars. So there are lots of things in there. There's I've never seen one that there's any lies, there's any trickery. These are authentic bona fide offers, but you must come at it as your own advocate and have strong legal advice on your side. I can't tell you how many tenants I go, well, what does your attorney say about this? And they go, well, I didn't have an attorney. I just kind of signed it. I'm like, well, what did your CPA say about this? Well, I mean, he thought it was a pretty good deal. And what did your financial planner say? And he said, well, financials planner said, once you get the money, we can put it in the stock market. So you've got to be like a savvy seller and really surround yourself by great business advisors who will cut through the marketing noise of it and make sure that you've got advocates fighting for you. Yeah, so, so true. And, and actually, it's such a major missed opportunity for a lot of professionals, too. So uh, I wrote a forward to a book a couple of years ago called Becoming Seriously Wealthy. And we really dove in. We looked at the, the services advisors are providing. Right. And this is attorneys, CPAs, wealth advisors and the services that, that, that professionals are looking for. And one of the huge areas that they want to be served in is pre exit planning. Right. They, they want to do that planning beforehand. But very few professionals offer that at all, which is a massive missed opportunity to really serve clients well, because if you can be just a little bit more efficient on the tax side, all yes. of a sudden you don't have to necessarily get the highest offer out there because your net after tax dollars is going to be more if you do that pre-sale planning. And yeah, I think that that gets missed so often. And even nine times out of 10, yeah. nine times, if not, if not 10 out of 10. Yeah. And to tie it into what you were talking about earlier, 
right? Does it even fit with your long-term strategic vision of what you're trying to achieve? Does it help move that on? And if you've got that long-term strategic vision, it makes it easier to figure out if this is a good offer for you or not, doesn't it? Absolutely. And with our top tier consulting clients, when they come into the IGP platform, that's the first, it may not be the very first thing we do, but early in that engagement, we bake in a practice valuation for you. There's no cost to it at all. It saves you five grand right off the bat. I think every dentist in America should have their practice valued and always know what it's worth. It'll be the most important document if something unexpected happens and you're disabled for any reason. So get your practice valued, not when you want to sell it, but get it valued as a planning document. Uh, we also work with some CPAs that will do a three-year audit on your tax returns and your P&Ls just to see if you are set up in the most tax efficient ways. Those two things alone make you a more savvy business owner and help you understand if I've done my five-year planning or 10-year planning, now I know what my starting point for value is. Mm -hmm. Then I engage with a consultant on the internal levers that I need to push and pull on the management side or marketing side to make sure that I am I am ratcheting up value probably three to one on my cash flow. You know, it just makes so much sense if you if you're armed with information. Yeah, and you actually even have a tool, the the investment grade practice practice value that people can take advantage. Tell us a little bit about that. Okay, I'm going to put some caveats in here, but it is yeah. really really cool. Uh, you can go on our website and load in your current collections. That's the only number that you're going to need. We really got this down very, very simple. What it's going to do is put in some assumptions about what would make your practice investable. So things like your, your EBITDA that we were talking about earlier is 20%. We also loaded in industry norms for how business as usual practices grow and how DSOs grow year over year. And so it will give you a five-year projection on what your practice might look like today, tomorrow, and next year if you continue growing. Again, business as usual, practices in America grow about 5 to 7% a year. They're keeping up with inflation. Our optimized practices, we've set this at 12% a year, so still not highly aggressive growth, but above market growth. And then the DSO. So the caveat is when you look at those projected five years, it is a little bit of a crystal ball, but it shows you, is it worth it for me to optimize my practice in preparation? You know, what is the difference between going along business as usual and one day throwing somebody the keys versus optimizing it? And I just pulled up this calculator. This is interesting. I think I put in 2.4 million. And the difference five years from now at time of sale, you could sell at either 3.6 or 6.5. It's just that big of a conversation. Wow. Absolutely amazing. And I just posted that link below. So if you're on Facebook or YouTube or LinkedIn, that link right below, go ahead, take advantage because it's always a good time to get evaluation of your practice. Always. You should just know that as a planning number. I think it's like your annual physical, right? You want to yeah. check up on your health. You want to check up on your finances. You want to check up on your value. Mm -hmm. So, so true. So, so coming back now, because, because I think this is so important to, to weave into also, but you have a degree in spiritual studies, don't you? I sure do. 
how do we how do we bring that side into everything that we're doing right because it's just not about numbers right there i'm going to argue there's a spiritual side to life and so so how do we start bringing that into our practices uh i love that you asked that question um because it's really at the heartbeat of where society is trending right now there's this craving for honoring of spirit right and self self-care and all of that spirit. My, my degree, sometimes people think I have a degree in religion or theology. It is in the same school that I went to at the Emerson Theological Institute is where I studied. But this is the spirit that illuminates all religions. It's a spirit that illuminates all humans. So in business, my, my thesis was actually on sacred commerce. How do we honor the spirit of each person and be profitable? you know, endeavor and, and what is the crossroads of that? And the simplest phrase, and my, my team kind of bounces back and forth is, you know, in business, it, you can either sell your soul or fill your soul. So bringing a spirituality into your practice helps to fill the soul, helps fill the passion, you know, mm. put any word you want to in that. Um, and there's some real easy, tangible things you can do to support that. Um, some of the things that employees are asking for today in work-life balance, what they're asking for is more time in nature, more time to be with my kids, more time to connect, right? So connection is one of our foundational human emotions. So we want to have a safe environment at work. We want to not have toxic relations at work. Anything that pulls you away from love and the branches of love, of compassion and empathy and, and gratitude and stewardship um, pulls you out of spirit. So that's where spirituality really comes into business is you can just think about the limbs of love and where you are and compassion and sympathy and empathy. And I, for one, think dentistry is just already doing this and we're perfectly poised and we're probably role models for a lot of other industries. Yeah. So, so, right, I mean, that kind of has to do with the, the doctor and their team and how they're operating. But let's say you're that doctor and you're, you are feeling that, that burnt out and, and you feel like your practice is sucking your soul away and not giving you life. Where do you start to, to change that? How do you start nudging things so that your, your practice does become, become life-giving again? You know, when you think about the mind-body-spirit connection, it really doesn't matter where you start. You just need to start. So if you work on your physical health, then your mental and spiritual health get better. If your physical health is doing really well, but your mental health needs to be addressed, then work there. If physical and mental are, are doing well, but you feel just this uh, spiritual drain in what you're doing, you're not passionate, you're just waking up to make the donuts, then find something that sparks your passion. I think that um, I'm so proud of dentistry for how we've stepped up and creating more channels and more outlets. I see mental health and spirituality going hand in hand. So um, get on apps like betterhelp.me, uh, the Mint Door, Laura Schwent and Karen Tendall, a former dentist who are really working in this coaching, traumatic coaching space. Dentistry is traumatic. Dentistry is difficult. There are a lot of very um, energetically open, empath empathic people in dentistry. We're drawn to it as caregivers. So you have to learn how to put gates around your own energy field, how to slough it off. 
um, your patient's pain, we feel it physically. And it's something that's just starting to come out scientifically and coming out in our industry. But that six foot field between people, you feel their energy and learning how to protect yourself and not take on the pain of your patients is a big one in dentistry. So I say that um, all dentists, all hygienists, all clinicians, we are professional athletes. And just as you're going to look at your board of advisors for the business, treat your body, mind, and soul as if you were an NFL player making $25 million a year. You would be taking ice baths for the inflammation. You would have a brain trainer. You would have your magnesium and potassium and all of those nutrient-rich uh, environments. You would have a nutritionist. You'd have a trainer. You'd have all of that. I can sometimes barely get my doctors to drink a smoothie. You know, <laughs> so self-help is paramount. And if I had one takeaway on that, it is that success requires support. And the support you needed at college to get through dental school, the support you needed when you were small in your practice, it's not the same level of support that you need as you're generating wealth. So yeah. don't feel guilty about reinvesting in your, in your health. Yeah, right. Somehow we, we, we grow up, so to speak, and all of a sudden we think we can do this on our own now, <laughs> reaching out. And, you know, the analogy I always like to use is it's like being on a plane. And if the plane loses oxygen, you got to put that oxygen mask on your neighbor. No, no, no. You put it on yourself first, because if you don't take care of yourself, you're of no good to anyone else. That's and right. so it's what I call enlightened self-interest, right? Take care of yourself so that you can continue to take care of other people. It's not selfishness. It's actually a way of giving more and more by taking care of yourself. I honestly, if you, if you looked at the four quadrants of, of the IGP system, you know, and there were rectangles right there in the center would be your own personal self-care. Um, you know, get a massage, do the work, do yeah. the inner work. That's because everything else hinges on that. Yeah, so, so true. Well, hey, this has been such an amazing conversation so far. Where can people find out more about you, the Productive Dentist Academy? Where can we find out more about what's going on? How can we follow you? Yeah, simply go to... Uh, ProductiveDentist.com, all of our workshops, all of our events. Uh, there's other free tools there. Uh, you'll get connected to my team. We have an amazing team. We're from Honolulu to Nova Scotia. So oh. we, can, we, can, we haven't seen it all, thank goodness, but we've seen a lot. And uh, you can talk to Brent and have a free assessment and, and spend some time with one of our coaches. Excellent. Well, hey, any closing thoughts before we sign off here, Victoria? Um. My heart is in dentistry. And again, I'm going to reiterate that success requires support. And I, I hope there's an invitation here for everyone just to know that you deserve it. Know that um, whatever you're struggling with is probably exactly where you're supposed to be, given the life cycle of your business that you're in today. Some seasons are harder than the others, but there's a way through almost every one of these struggles. Yeah, no, such, such good advice. And, and thank you for sharing so generously with us. Thank you for taking us through and, and really changing our mindsets in the way we think about our practice and, and really not just thinking about it as a, a practice, but a, a true investment. And, and thank you for helping us walk through those. And I know I certainly feel more empowered to make better decisions. And so thank you again for sharing so generously. My pleasure. And to all our listeners, we're looking forward to seeing you again here on Dental Wealth Nation. Until then, get out there and make it a great day.
You've been listening to Dental Wealth Nation. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from the show. Join us next time as we pull back the curtain to reveal the often hidden advice and strategies used by today's most successful individuals and families and help maximize your net worth so you can take even better care of the people you love. Till next time, make sure to hit the website at dentalwealthnation.com. 